0: You're listening to a TVO podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Pippa. And I'm Karina. And this is Word Bomb, one word per episode, you know the drill. Let's get into it because today we're digging into a word that I have been wanting to cover for a while Latin X.
0: So that's spelled L A T I N X. So
1: some people will say Latin X others, often Spanish speakers, will say that it should follow the pronunciation of Latino, so Latinx. And apparently some people say Latinx, which (laughs) I think personally is hilarious. Yeah, same. (laughs) I feel awkward saying Latinx. I feel like it sounds like I'm doing an accent, so I'm going to stick with Latinx for the duration of the episode.
0: Yeah, I agree and we'll do the same.
1: Okay, so the reason that I've been wanting to do this word for so long is because This is perfect word bomb territory. A word was missing, so a new word evolved to fill that spot. It's also been the subject of a lot of controversy, and it spawned a lot of op-eds, so honestly, we just had to.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of chatter about this word lately, Mm -hmm. and I am really excited to dive into it as well. So let's start off with what it means and why it came
1: about. So Latinx is a term that has been gaining prominence since maybe the mid-2010s, though it did exist before. And like I said, it evolved to solve a linguistic problem. In Spanish, men are Latino and women are Latina, and if there's a mixed-gender group, it's referred to collectively as Latino— and so there wasn't a great option to refer to non-binary people or to be more inclusive when you refer to a collective. Right. So the word was around for a while before it got any formal recognition, but now you'll see it, you know, in headlines, it's used on campaign trails, and it entered the Merriam-Webster dictionary in September of 2018. Obviously, I needed some help unpacking all of the complexity of, you know, gender and race and history and the controversies. So I brought in Dr. Megan Figueroa to help. Megan is a developmental psycholinguist and a host on the podcast, The Vocal
2: Fries. I got her to introduce herself. Um. Well, I guess I should start by saying that, so my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I go by Latina or I go by Chicana or Chicano or Ch... Or Ch- actually, I have never said chicanx out loud, but um, so Chicanex. Um, that's just someone of Mexican descent. So my family is from Mexico. So Megan said that she'll
1: use Latinx or get more specific about her heritage and use Chicanex. I asked Megan what words that she or her family used when she was growing up, and she told me about her dad who preferred to call himself Mexicano.
2: My dad and I started to feel this when I got older. He had a hard time giving people the benefit of the doubt when they called him Mexican because he felt that it sounded nasty coming out of their mouths, like there was judgment. And I don't blame him at all because there's this, I always refer to this office, the scene between Michael Scott, the boss, and Oscar, who's Mexican in the show. Michael Scott says, is there a term you prefer besides Mexican, something less offensive? And... I was like, oh my God, that's so, that's it. (laughs) You know, I just kind of got it right, you know, the nail on the head kind of thing. I remember that episode, actually. It was a great, it was a great line.
1: (laughs) It's pretty to the point. So Latinx is another option that's more expansive to gender identity than just Latina or Latino.
0: So actually... Just under half of the world's languages actually have gendered grammar in this way, like with each noun being either masculine or feminine. So it's really common. Mm -hmm. Here in Canada, the gendered language we're most familiar with is obviously French. And if you remember from French class, if you're talking about a group of people of mixed gender, you default to male.
1: Right. And Spanish is the same. So a mixed gender group are Latinos, even if there are 99 women and one man. With Latinx, though, a mixed gender group can be collectively Latinxs and gender sort of taken out of the equation. Megan and I talked about this a bit.
2: Um, and the reason why this is even a thing is because Spanish has this grammatical gender, which is not at all the same as uh, social gender. It's just a linguistic feature, which is really important because there's no reason to believe that um, Spanish speakers or the Spanish language is inherently more sexist. Believe me, uh, English speakers Are hella sexist? We don't have grammatical gender. It's not a linguistic feature, but we can still be sexist, can't we?
0: I love it when guests basically sum up the concept of our show in a little, (laughs) in a neat little soundbite. It always makes me feel very grateful.
1: (laughs) hundred percent. So, the Royal Academy of Spanish, which is Spain's official institution that like regulates the Spanish language, agrees with Megan, insisting that there is no connection between grammatical gender and gender oppression. But unlike Megan, they officially reject Latinx or any other gender-neutral alternative. In their 2018 style guide, they said that defaulting to the masculine, Latinos, works because it also encompasses the feminine.
0: I've always found it so interesting that so many languages have their own kind of governing body. Like there's a similar academy for French. Basically, they they have (laughs) control of the dictionary and they make official recommendations whenever they think the French language is slipping, like recommending that French people don't use English loan words uh, like computer or software.
1: English doesn't have an academy like that, right?
0: No. Can you imagine? The idea is like kind of hilarious. I mean, you can make arguments for and against this kind of thing. Like on the one hand, you're preserving cultural heritage uh, versus on the other hand, like you're clinging to prescriptivism. But I think Uh my opinion is that It doesn't really matter if there's some academy kind of safeguarding the language from being destroyed because people will use the language to be the most effective tool for them anyway, no matter how many recommendations are released. Totally.
1: And less officially, Spanish speakers have been trying to find a gender-neutral solution for a while now. First, in addressing a mixed-gender group, for example, a politician might address the citizens as las ciudadanas y los ciudadanos, basically male citizens and female citizens. Or people will sometimes write in Spanish ciudadano slash AS. So O slash AS.
0: Right. So that's more inclusive than just the male collective plural that encompasses Mm -hmm. the feminine. But it is still binary.
1: Right. So one non-binary solution that was invented is instead of an O or an A, use the at symbol, which I oh. think is ingenious because it's basically both letters together if you think about it.
0: Yeah, that that is smart. But then, like, how do you say it? Because I don't imagine that that's meant to be said Latin at, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that some people will say Latin at and some people will say Latine, but it's like... Not as easy to translate to spoken word. Yeah. And it also caused issues online because the at is used to tag people in social media, right? Yeah,
0: right. That would, like, if you were on Twitter, that would really mess things up. Yeah. Um,
1: Another proposed solution is Latine. So that's just with an E at the end. And that is great because it kind of sits between the A and the O in the alphabet. So it's sort of nice symbolism. And it's easy to say. So a lot of people still prefer that one, Latine.
0: I do actually like that one. It's it's kind of softer and less noticeable, like less jarring than Latinx. Mm. But then again, maybe the point is to be jarring.
1: That's a good point. So then Latinx did come along, and most sources will cite around 2004 for that. According to Princeton University scholar Arlene Gamio Cuervo, who wrote Latinx, a brief guidebook, it died down in popularity shortly after that, but it reemerged kind of around 2014 in popularity. So the origin story, the lore goes that feminist protesters in Latin America in the late 90s and perhaps even as early as the 70s would graffiti an X over the O at the end of Latino on posters that were meant to reference men, women and non-binary folks, so the collective.
0: Well, that's kind of kick ass. So it was like yeah. a more like a crossing out... X, then like a letter X.
1: Yeah. And then it got incorporated into the word Latin X.
0: So we've been talking about the X in Latin X, but uh-huh. um, maybe before we go any further, we should tackle the Latin part. Right. I've got a very, very fast history lesson on the term Latin America. And uh, by very, very fast, I mean semi-long. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like it's important background. I'll try to keep it concise. Um, So before I start, I should say that I got most of this from the writer David Bowles. He's now writing a book called Buzzwords Latinx for Oxford University Press, and it should come out early 2021. So keep an eye out for that book. He's a Mexican-American author and a professor from South Texas. I really recommend looking up the full article that he wrote about this. It's called What the Hex? H E X, a Latin X.
1: That's a good one. Yeah. Good titles are hard to come by. Yeah.
0: I wish we could go back in time and steal his title <laughs> for this episode.
1: I agree. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so Latin America. Why is it called Latin America? Okay. We can start with the word America. America is named after an Italian explorer named Americo Vespucci. Uh, fun fact also my dad's middle name. <laughs> mm. Um, He was the first European to figure out that what they came to call America was a separate continent from Asia. And Hmm. the first uh, European map with the name America surfaced in the early 1500s. And by this time, a lot of the continent of America was under the control of the Spanish Empire and divided into territories by them, like modern-day Mexico, Central America, the Philippines, although they, they weren't all called what we call them now. Right. Um, And so one by one, there were democratic revolutions in each of these territories, and they slipped out of Spanish control. But of course, that was after a couple hundred years of Spanish occupation with Spanish language and culture being imposed on the indigenous cultures of each region. So they all had that in common, like, they all had good old fashioned, (laughs) brutal colonial rule in common. Great. Right. So, around the 1830s, a French economist named Michel Chevalier started using Latin America as an umbrella term for this group of territories. And at the time, the French Empire, which was headed by Napoleon III, who is the nephew of the Napoleon that you're thinking of, um. He was very keen on expanding French influence and French control into this group of regions. And the new umbrella term, Latin America, made a clear distinction between that and Anglophone America or Spanish Europe. Right. So that's a really quick version of the origin story. (laughs) And there have been, like, many twists and turns since then. But basically, my takeaway from David Bowles' article is that... For a lot of people, despite these really fraught colonial origins, the term Latin America and Latino and Latina signaled a kind of uh, solidarity between this group of countries.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of complicated feelings around a lot of these words, but yeah. that that's a great point. Mm-hmm. I feel like the other word that we should mention here is Hispanic. So Latino or Latinx and Hispanic are often used interchangeably, but they actually mean different things.
0: Right. So Hispanic is just a word meaning Spanish that derives from Latin. And uh, technically being Latino, Latina or Latinx means you or your ancestors are from Latin America, while being Hispanic means you or your ancestors are from Spanish-speaking countries. So... There is a lot of overlap there, but it's not exactly the same thing.
1: Spain is a Hispanic country, but not part of Latin America. Mm -hmm. And non-Spanish speaking people from Latin America, like Brazilians who speak Portuguese, they're Latinx, but not Hispanic. Exactly. Basically, we can see that both terms, Latin American and Hispanic, have complications for people, obviously. Yeah. And some people find that they're both tainted by history. Curly Tlapoyawa, the founder of the Chamali Institute of Mesoamerican Arts, says he identifies as Mazwali, a term that means indigenous person in Nahuatl, a genderless language or a group of languages historically referred to often as Aztec. He wrote for human parts on Medium that he doesn't like Latino or Latinx because they preserve that colonial Eurocentric mindset. In that article, he writes that when Michel Chevalier first invented the idea of Latin identity, he was doing it to manipulate Mexicans into adopting a Latin view of themselves to help the French empire expand, right? Mm -hmm. So he finds it more meaningful to use the language of his ancestors.
0: Right. But not all Latin Americans have indigenous heritage.
1: Right. So a solution like that doesn't work for everyone without just being appropriative.
0: Yeah. I feel like the argument that Latinx still holds
1: colonial connotations makes a lot of sense to me. But there are a lot, a lot of other arguments against the X part of that word. Of course there are. Um, I think one of the biggest arguments against Latinx is that it comes from academics or from Americans, not from Latin America. John McWhorter of the Lexicon Valley podcast argued in an article for The Atlantic that Latinx can't catch on because it has been imposed from above rather than coming from below. So it's sort of like a top-down imposition word. Right. There was also a widely read article by two student journalists at Swarthmore College saying Latinx is an imposition from Americans trying to fix what they see as a backwards language from the outside, which they called linguistic imperialism.
0: I should say here, my parents are from Venezuela. Um, I'm not fluent in Spanish, and I was born in Canada, um, but I can just imagine my mom hearing someone say Latinx and being like borderline offended. Actually, not even borderline. <laughs> I'm I'm positive that her first reaction would be to think that this was a very silly, made up North American affectation. Um, so I think it's important to note that the Latin American opinion on the word Latinx is not some hive mind.
1: Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. There are lots of people for it. There are lots of people against it. Yeah. Anecdotally, Megan led me to a Twitter thread from 2017 by Ara Bagato, who's now an investigative immigration reporter at Reveal. In the thread, Ara talks about how she first learned the term amigos spelled with an X instead of the O from an elder in South America in like the early 2000s. She writes, poor in a way most of you will never understand poverty and less educated as in never finished grade school. They got it. They taught me.
0: So she's pushing back against the idea that words like Latinx come from outside Latin America or that they come from an educated elite. Right but it is
1: true that many people first encountered the term Latinx in an academic setting. Megan said that she read it before hearing it out loud, and so did our second guest, Augusto Bitter. Augusto is a writer and performer from Venezuela, based in Toronto, and I asked him when he first encountered the word Latinx.
3: I'm pretty sure my instinct tells me that I read it first, but it was definitely like I was probably 22, 21, I don't know, and it made a mark. On me.
1: <laughs> so since then, Augusto has embraced the word, referring to himself as Latinx or specifying that he's Venezolanx.
3: I think recently uh, I've been, <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's just because like I'm creating a new show and I was in residence at a, at a theater company and everywhere I went, I think I was like only wearing nail polish, but other than that, I was still wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a sweat. Like I just looked, like, a, I don't know, like I usually address, which isn't particularly femme is what I'm trying to say, but everybody would pause suddenly and would not know how to address me. And they didn't know what pronouns to use with me, or they would start to address me and then would pause and then would ask me my pronouns after the fact, which I found super interesting uh, and powerful in a strange way. But I was like, you're taking an extra th- second to think about my gender identity. There's something about the way I look or the way I present or the way I speak that is making you doubt. Um, and I love, I think that's kind of reflected in the Latin X. Also, in terms of the shape of the X itself, that is this like crisscrossing of paths or of roads or of genders or of experience that. Is nothing and everything all at the same time, which is uh, largely how I play with and identify with my own gender. It's, gender expression, particularly, is very fluid and I'm very curious about it artistically and personally. And I think the Latin X identity leaves room for me to kind of decide and stay curious and keep exploring that.
0: I like what he said there about the shape of the X uh, crisscrossing identities.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of something that Ed Morales wrote about in the book Latinx: The New Force in American Politics, that Latinx is in keeping with the tradition of mestizaje or hybridity. Julian Castro, the same Castro who campaigned for US President this year, actually reviewed Morales' book in the New York Times, and he wrote that Latinos can be black, white, brown or anything in between, live in the US or elsewhere, speak Spanish or not and the X allows that freedom for gender identity or expression. He says the book shatters Americans' view of the community as monolithic.
0: That's kind of, um, it's like equal parts weird and comforting for me to hear, personally. Mm-hmm. Like, uh... I, You know, I know how to cook Venezuelan food. We have, like, customs we do around the holidays that are definitely Latin American in my family. But I've never really called myself uh, Latina or Latinx because I don't speak Spanish and I wasn't born there. But under this more inclusive definition of Latinx, uh, like, he would say I'm kind of gatekeeping myself.
1: Yeah, it, it does sound that way. Yeah. <laughs> something to think about. Yeah. So when I spoke to Augusto, he had recently done a play by Carmen Aguirre with a large Latinx cast from all over Latin America and the diaspora. And he told me that they used the word Latinx to link together all those different identities. I feel like Latinx is useful there because it casts a wide net that kind of like can group in so many different identities and creates that solidarity we talked about. But then the X allows for variability or to challenge the idea of that monolith.
3: For me, bottom line, it's about community. So it signals to other potentially queer and trans Latinx people that they're safe with me or that I am a sibling of some kind of that experience. Obviously, because I'm also queer and because I work with language so much, I'm, I'm a fan of language being able to change and adapt and expand. But I also really like the fact that Latinx also literally takes more work for your tongue. You have to like curl it, curl your tongue back to pronounce the X instead of just opening into an O or an A from an N. So it's less intuitive in a way. It's less natural.
0: Okay, so th- yeah, this is what I said earlier about Latine. Like the sound of Latin X is much harder and more harsh, but mm-hmm. you can think of that as intentional.
1: Yeah. And and here let's get into the X more broadly for a second, because it's used to gender neutralize, you know, Latinx, X, like we've said, but also tons and tons of other terms. So there's women spelled W-O-M-X-N. Right. There are other spellings, obviously, as well, but they do the same job of removing the word men from women. According to Lal Zeman, an assistant professor of linguistics at UC Berkeley quoted by the Boston Globe, putting X into women draws the attention to the ways we don't notice when men are treated as the default kind of person, which I liked.
0: Right, like the Latino default. Exactly.
1: Spelling women like that is also explicitly trans-inclusive. The same is true of the word folks, spelled F-O-L-X, which the radical copy editor writes is a coded way of saying folks like us. So it's, like, used by people who don't conform to a gender binary.
0: Okay. So this was interesting to me because I always really wondered about that. Like, why do we need the word folks spelled with an X? Because the term folks spelled with a K is obviously already gender neutral. Yeah. And pronounced the same way. So I I didn't see why it existed, but it's actually more of an in-group expression. Or just
1: literally spelling out that you mean to include all folks. Right.
0: Um, I'm also thinking of um, MX, like the Mm. alternative for Ms. or Mr. or Mrs., uh, which has been around since, like, second wave feminism in the 70s.
1: Yeah, and this also makes me think about, like, the X on identification. In Ontario, you've been able to identify as gender X on driver's licenses since 2017 and on Canadian passports since June of
0: 2019. Or... How about the way uh, tech companies use X to sort of conjure this idea of uncharted territory, like the iPhone X or Google X?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, It sort of like comes back to the algebraic X, Mm -hmm. like X stands in for an unknown. Right.
0: By the way, uh, OK, this is a bit of a detour, but you might uh, think that the abbreviation Xmas for Christmas fits into that list uh, because it Mm -hmm. really sounds like it should belong and that's what I thought for a long time that Xmas was this way to secularize the word Christmas by taking Christ out of the word, right? But actually, there's a really long history of the letter X representing Christ. Like, X is the symbol for the Greek letter that is the first letter in Christos or Jesus Christ.
1: Wow. I had no idea about that. Like, yeah. I thought it was just an abbreviation. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we talked about the concept of mestizaje before, or hybridity, that idea that Ed Morales puts forward. In this terrific article for the site Mother Jones, John Paul Brammer wrote about his own identity, and he writes that mixedness is not a halfway state of being, but a complete state of being unto itself. He writes, I can think of no better extension of that sentiment than Latinx, a word that concedes to malleability— the ex willing to become whatever it needs to be for the person who wears it. I like that. That's really nice. I'll end it off with some words from Megan Figueroa.
2: I think it's kind of beautiful that there are people that their identity, for whatever reason, isn't being represented by the way that the language is now. And they are carving a way to make room for themselves. And I think that we should just be carving away a little bit with them, because it's already hard enough when we have, you know, all these other ways that we've marginalized people, um, that I think it's just such an easy thing to be like, yes, okay, I will use Latinx when I'm referring to you, or I will use they, them pronouns. It helps to remember that none of us are gonna destroy Spanish by using Latinx, Spanish is doing real well, (laughs) lots of speakers, it's not dying off anytime soon, it's not being destroyed, and actually we're enriching it by adding these things because that's what languages do, they change, and we might as well just go with the flow. (laughs) And I think we can leave it there. Yeah. Word Bomb
1: is produced by me, Pippa Johnstone. And me, Karina Palmatesta. Thank you so much to Megan Figueroa and Augusto Bitter for their interviews. Our show is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territories of many nations, including the Wendat, the Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation.
0: You can follow the show at Word Bomb Podcast on Instagram and at tvo.org WordBomb. Thank you to everyone at TVO who makes our show possible. And thank you for listening.